thank you for joining us. This is episode 29 of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom and Kevin Buckner. And Chris decided that uh, spending time with his family was a little bit more important than hanging out with us bums, so he's not so going to be with us this week. So selfish. Nice <laughs> right? Since when does family come first? Come on. Especially in Utah. I mean, of all <laughs> places. Yeah, I'm sure Chris is having a great time with his family, and, and uh, we're, we're sad not to have him, but uh, he'll be back next episode, I'm sure. Indeed. Yeah. That's for sure. So, uh, Andy, you done anything this week with your printer? Mm, well, last night. Do was I want to ask this part. question? <laughs> well, I didn't didn't flood Discord enough with my sudden stresses and problems while we were trying to plan out the next podcast timing. Yeah, I definitely got selfish on that one. Uh, um, I don't know. Maybe it's related to me being tone deaf, but eventually I just stopped watching and summarized <laughs> it all when you stopped. Um, ranting <laughs> that was all live feed there and all the frustrations during the uh the problems so uh I, I don't blame you for that plus i tend to do novels when i talk online so i, I don't blame you for ignoring them at all well that's but what no, you it, get for using your assistant to post instead of actually typing if you had to use your fingers to put all that out i don't <laughs> think it would have been so verbose <laughs> yeah i think you're probably right on that <laughs> but this week was um it was pretty productive. Um, my uh, my kid is in grade school, and he's um, doing a play, uh, James and the Giant Peach. And uh, my wife is really big into um, uh, cosplay and things like that. She's really you know big on the uh, what are they called uh, Comic Con and all those kind of things. And so this was like right up her alley to help in, in a PTA kind of form. So. Uh, she signed us up for just about every prop they had to get done and then uh, left a bunch of the ones that were best to be 3D printed up to me. So I've been <laughs> running my 3D printer through the loops the last week and it's been constantly buzzing along printing large items and um, putting a lot of stress on it. And uh, it's been working great ever since I uh, tried out the new Cura Profile and that seemed to solve all of my problems with appearance i'm back to having really great uh print quality again uh so I've, we've been running running pla through it like mad i've put two uh reels through it just this last week maybe two and a half so it's been buzzing along for for quite a while and uh, yesterday yesterday night actually it was yesterday day during work uh the wife uh sent me a picture of the front panel of my printer it said it had a, a thermal issue, and um, so I figured, okay, I'll, I'll check it when I get home. I figured, you know, the uh, it's been a little while. It's so easy to break the thermal resistors on the head, and anything like that could have happened, and I wasn't really too worried about it. My printer is pretty good at making sure that, uh, you know, doing easy. heating and just, yeah, yeah, really. For, for, the, during... for, the, for the visual listeners, I uh, did the air quotes for easy. <laughs> <laughs> but Seems appropriate. the printer's pretty good at making sure the uh, thermal uh, during heating and, and cool down and all that other kind of stuff stays in a particular uh, envelope. And mm. if it goes outside of that envelope, then it will throw this error. Um, I love that it does that. It makes me feel safe around the printer. That way, if uh, 
if the heating cartridge ever popped out or something like that and it became an open system that it's not going to sit and catch fire or something like that you know it's got a lot of a lot of safeties there so i'm happy to see that it threw over something mm-hmm. and um it could have been a number of things i i remember that last time i changed out my um my hot end that i didn't redo a, a pid test uh which could affect that and um but, you know, it was the same size heater block and things, so I wasn't suspecting that it would have changed a whole lot. So I, I didn't rerun a PID. That's kind of complicated to come bring down the laptop and hook it up to the printer and run that test to, to you know, uh, figure out what it needs exactly. But uh, that could have done it, um, you know, a number of different things. So when I got home and looked over the head, it, uh, it looks like I was actually having a little bit of, of leaking um, you know, where the hot end gets covered in plastic. I'm sure we've all had a little bit of that. And it wasn't too bad, but it did have a little bit of plastic all over the whole thing. And so I figured, okay, um, I'll go ahead and pull off that silicone sock and I'll, I'll take the head out and clean it up and just put it back in. And, you know, I'm not really going to worry about trying to figure out why it did what it did. It, sometimes it, you know, just backs off with, you know, heating and cooling and things. So I'm just going to clean it up and if it fixes the problem great if it starts to leak again i'll worry about it then mm-hmm. and so i turned on the printer to start heating up the head so i can get the sock off because you know it's glued to the head at the moment with plastic and uh it sat there for about a full maybe minute maybe 45 seconds and only got up to like 80 degrees and then through a thermal error now that's that's kind of weird it would start heating and heat slowly and then throw an air looking over the the heater and stuff it really did only get to like 80 degrees it was reading the temperatures and everything properly but why is it not getting up to the temperature it needed to be you know i also noticed a really 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 high pitch whining coming from the control box on my printer like power supplies make when they're going out <laughs> <laughs> so i opened up the printer and uh, my my printer is based off the 24 volt system. So I opened it up. I put the a multimeter on it, read 24 volts coming out of it. That's perfect, right where it needs to be. So I, I turned on the hot end again and uh, looked at the voltage again, and it pulled it down to 11 volts. So, and something is seriously wrong with the, um, the power supply on my printer. It's going out on me. Now, I've done a lot of stuff to it. Um, my printer originally had a 24 volt bed. And I pulled that out and swapped it out with a 110-volt bed. And now the 24-volt supply for the bed only flips a relay. And so I took all of that amperage off of the power supply. But then I went and put in my Pelter cooling system that runs off of the same power supply. But it is less amperage than the original bed. So it shouldn't have caused any problems. Now, I've been running it this way. Should, yeah, use that bad word. (laughs) I've been running it this way for the last like two years with the cooling system. And so I'm, I'm thinking this isn't due to something that I necessarily did and have to compensate for. So I'm just going to go ahead and swap out the power supply itself. Now, thankfully, it's only a $20 power supply. It's, it's an 8.5 amp, 24 volt PSU. And I okay. can buy one of those off eBay. In fact, I bought two because... Uh, I know I said earlier I've got enough parts to make up a full printer, and that, that's not necessarily true. I don't have aluminum extrusions. I don't have another case for the printer. Uh, I don't have another power supply for the board. I don't have a working main board. 
So uh, I'm not exactly being truthful when I said I've got enough parts for a whole nother computer, you know, another printer. Just well, close to and, it. <laughs> and to be fair, you know, in your defense, you could put up a whole nother printer for pocket change with yeah, the parts that you already that have. So. I'm not missing that many components, but um, to buy the power supply, uh, I bought it out of China because that's twenty dollars. Um, it would have been about fifty dollars if I would have bought it in the U.S. So I'm going to wait on it. And uh, the the printer takes a single rail 24 24 volt power supply. And so I got a variable power supply out in my shop that's uh, supposedly 10 amps and up to 30 volts. And so I brought that inside and hooked it up to that in the meantime while I wait for another PSU to come uh, to be shipped down. And unfortunately, that power supply too is also a cheap power supply and won't push 10 amps at 30 <laughs> volts at all. And so at its max, it will push um, about 19 volts when the printer is fully loaded. It will pull down to 19 volts. But the printer seems to be just fine with that. Um, the duty cycle on the head went from about 20% of the time to up to about 32% of the time. So it, you can tell that there was a difference with the lower voltage. But uh, that still means that it's only running 32, you know, only powering at 32% of the time. So it's still got enough power there to maintain what it needs to do and you know the printer's designed to operate between 12 and 24 volts so 19 is going to be just fine i believe and last night i printed a, a big peach on my printer um it was only like 120 millimeters uh, diameter sphere but uh it, it worked just fine and the print quality was still there and everything like that so i'm going to uh i guess use this variable power supply as the power supply for my printer until I get another PSU. And I bought two of them when I did. And when I get the original one out there, they're just a very simple switching power supply. So I should actually be able to even fix it and have a backup there. But either way, I'm just going to call it a fluke and just replace it with one that it's designed for, the same one, and go with that. So that, hmm. that's been my adventure with my printer last night. And, and going so, through and figuring out this problem was, was quite stressful because I've got all this stuff I need to print. And as wonderful as you guys are saying, hey, you know, you can help me out if I need anything. Um, I still need to put like two or three rolls of filament through my printer for everything that the wife has me doing. And I felt like that's asking a little bit much to just run, you know, like Chris's printer day in and day out to print these things I need for the wife. So I'm happy to have the machine back in, in functioning, even if it's just got a Band-Aid over the current problem. Where do you stand on the idea of moving your coolers onto the power supply that you're even running the 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 bed heater from doing I, the same thing with a relay yeah i could and that wouldn't be a problem at all um in fact well chris mentioned something really neat back in the day he says uh, hey laptop power supplies are 18 volts and can pack the punch and he's yeah right. he did There's a lot that. of amperage there and peltier coolers work best at about 18 volts Right now, I'm running two 12-volt or two Peltier coolers in a series off of the 24, so they're only operating off of 12 volts. However, uh, the temperature my cooling system can get down to is way already, with just the 12 volts, is more than I need anyway. I can, in the middle of summer, it can get down to almost 40 degrees, and that's that's cold for the print head. It doesn't need to be cold cold so. oh you you don't want to be able to put your drink underneath it and get an icing <laughs> out of it yeah no kidding no kidding 
So um, I, I think it's okay. And um, honestly, the original bed was, I think, a 5-amp heater. And um, my filter coolers, after measuring them, only pull about 2.5 amps. So that's, that's still taking a lot less than the printer was supposed to be designed to be able to put out. So I, I think I'm okay with, with going with just the, the one plug and keeping it simple, uh, running you know the cooling system off of the printer's PSU. Because uh, it's still well within its range, and um, I think it's just more of a fluke that it went out. That it probably, you know, if it was wear and the, due to the amount of amperage that it's being pulled from it, it would have gone out probably faster with the bed heater, with the original bed heater on it, because that that pulled more power. So there is the bit where technology is weird. It might have lasted. <laughs> there's a non-zero chance it would have lasted longer with that bed heater <laughs> than. Yeah, uh, that's true. And that's why science is so fun too. Honestly, <laughs> you have re- to account re- for everything, whether you want to or not. I remember when I was little, um, I had a goat cart that my dad had built when he was younger, and it was uh, it was a fun little goat cart. I mean, I had to have only been like ten years old, and at one point we were out playing with it in a parking lot, and the uh, the throttle got stuck on it, stuck open. Uh-oh. And I was a ten-year-old. Yeah, it was a it was a life-threatening situation. Actually, I'm lucky I lived through it. Um, I wound up sneaking in between. We were in a school parking lot, and they had a bunch of pillars up in the parking lot for mm-hmm. to control so that buses so it could like separate the parking lot where the buses are supposed to go. And um, I was just screaming with the throttle wide open, not knowing what to do. And I was too young. I was worried about rolling or flipping the go-kart and not realizing that, God, if I just turn really sharp, it'll just spin out. And then my dad would come and, and help me shut the engine down while it was spun out. Mm-hmm. But I was young and just worried about flipping it. So I just took this really wide turn and tried to go through those pillars and made it the front of the cart through, but the back of the cart hit the pillar so i was i was an inch or two away from a serious accident so i was probably going maybe 25 30 miles an hour in this little goat cart just (laughs) just screaming but it it grabbed the rear wheel and bent it out and that was where where the wheel that was chained up to the engine so it busted the chain Mm -hmm. spun me out in a circle because now the wheels bent and acting like a steering wheel and uh, everything come to uh a stop and everything's good. Everybody's calm. You know, uh, the, the problem is over. Now my dad went through and rebuilt this goat cart because it was obviously had its problems that it could be in this situation, you know? So uh, I, you know, he, I now had a kill switch down at the, the base of the, the steering wheel so I can kill the engine easy. You know, he, he fixed the back wheel up and all that other kind of stuff, put all these precautions in so it would never happen again. And then I remember going out and writing it for the first time afterward, and uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go fast because obviously I was now scared of the damn thing, and uh, but I was still having fun, you know. It was it was the sure. go kart, and uh, I remember my dad telling me, uh, "You you got to go faster. You're going to burn it up going this slow with it all the time because it just had a centrifugal clutch," and that's the first. That's a long story. To bring these two ideas together of sometimes going pulling too little <laughs> can be just as damaging as screaming and pulling too much. <laughs> yeah. 
I didn't like, think uh, that story was going to be that long and detailed to get through just to connect those two ideas. I apologize. It, I'm sure it burned through your head in a matter of a second. And <laughs> Yeah, well, that's one of those memories as a little kid that is like perfect. And because, you know, I was a scary moment. Everything was happening really slow because I'm sure my brain was going 90 miles an hour recording every little thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can remember it like it was yesterday. So. We can do a tangent on memory if you like, yeah. because it's what came to mind for me. Um, they've done tests and figured out that when you remember something, you're not actually remembering the event. You're remembering the last time you, you remembered it. Yeah, yeah. And so things that you remember real well as an adult, the reason they're different from how they actually happened is because your perspective changes. So the story changes with it. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I've got a picture from when I was like five or six years old that I swear I remember being there for that mm-hmm. picture. I've got all these memories about it, but like no memories outside of the photograph. So it's like that. I'm wondering if I actually was only remembering seeing the photograph as a kid and developed a memory of actually being there at the time. It could be. It's weird. Can't trust I, uh, the damn thing the brain comes up with, I swear. I hate that part. <laughs> I can't trust my own memory. And yeah. I don't even Especially have... when you're having an argument with the wife or something like that. You say, oh, I said this. And she says, uh-uh. I swear this is how it happened. <laughs> yeah, you didn't say that. And now you're like, uh, maybe I didn't. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't know what's real, what's right. Of course, the real challenge is convincing them that what they're remembering is wrong. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they're Good the life. You know that. you're wrong no matter what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the worst thing I ever had was right after my brain surgery, they did the lobectomy, cut out the piece of the brain, you know, the defective part. And within minutes of me waking up, they say, so are you having any memory loss? <laughs> I think that's that's like, got to be an inside joke. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I mean, probably. I've been awake now for like twenty minutes. And... Let me inspect my memory of my whole life and see if there are any holes. Right. It's like uh, at this moment, if I don't remember something. I don't know that I should be remembering it. And so I don't know that I've forgotten it. I need to talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the funny really thing from about there. that. Was there anything that you did notice that changed after your, your brain surgery as far as your personality and who you were or anything like that? Um, yes. Uh, the, uh, the tumor was pressing uh, against my mood centers and uh, my decision-making centers so um i i was actually happier mellowed out a lot yeah (laughs) like i i remember before before the surgery i was in a really bad place like super depressed i if i was if i felt anything any emotion at all it was either sadness or anger usually i was just numb oh geez yeah Hmm. it was it was like probably textbook clinical depression um but i didn't want to seek any help because i didn't think i needed it and i was i was making some questionable decisions and stuff and then after the surgery 
all of that magically disappeared. I could suddenly oh. feel the full range of human emotion again and um, make good decisions and That's all that. Good. There was the aspect. I remember you were at my place playing poker like a year, maybe two afterwards. And I asked you a question and you looked at your wife and you went, can I use the excuse now? <laughs> and she she looks at you and goes yeah you, you can use the excuse you said i had brain surgery i don't remember this <laughs> oh yeah i my my wife got sick of me because I'd, I'd i'd frequently say if if somebody if i didn't know the answer to a question for a while my my response was I'm missing a piece of my brain. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, dear. That's one thing we like about the women in our lives, though, right? We can sit and talk crap about them all we want. But in the end, they keep us honest. Yep, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and so Let she'd be like, you need to stop using that excuse. And I was like, hey, hey, no, I don't. It's relevant. <laughs> <laughs> well, she doesn't Kevin, let me use it anymore, though. <laughs> Kevin, on the uh, subject of memory, did you do anything this week? Yes, I did, actually. <laughs> uh, so I, I did successfully print the multicolored egg, and I posted pictures of that on the Discord. And then um, my son has... Uh, his character in our Pathfinder 2 game that I've talked about, his summoner character. So I printed his dragon Eidolon a few weeks ago, and then this last week I printed um, I printed four little Velociraptors in the hopes that at least one of them would work, because uh, I've noticed that sometimes things don't work exactly with this printer exactly the way I want them to, and, and so if I print multiples, it increases the chances of at least one of them working, but all four of them did, so that was fantastic. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Now you've got three spares to uh, put on display in your office. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, so I, another game that, I, that I'm running is called um, Gods of Metal Ragnarok. Yeah. And, and I think I'm going to homebrew a raptor monster in that for the for the players to fight oh, cool. if one doesn't already exist i don't think there is one though that should be fun yeah that's cool well how about you frank what have you been up to i have been battling these eggs i uh <laughs> i did get a runoff of the dozen um out of a, a light pink and okay. i thought hey you know what i'm gonna run these solid ones off hollow just to see how they do and they came out okay, but there was like a bunch of loose filament inside from, you know, when it crosses the gap. Yeah. And I decided that uh, I don't like them hollow. Um, really? There's one that's uh, the Minecraft one. It doesn't do very good hollow. Like the, the squares don't uh, fill the inside very well. I mean, I guess I could add an extra inside wall to do that, but. Um, then I'm really making major differences to my profile that I really don't want to. So yeah. um, I decided to just run them all at a lower infill, so they're doing 10% instead of the 20 that I normally do. Okay. And that'll that'll give them the strength and you know the the loose filament inside is they're on purpose. Yeah. Um, and then I got 
these are 50 hour prints to do all 12 of them. Oh, wow. That's, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a really so, long time. So, um, we were down to the last two. I've got a really light, um, I guess you might call it a baby blue that yeah. I'm doing this set out of. And we got down to the last two hours of this 50 hour print. And, uh, two of them were not connected to the main raft. They had their own raft, but they weren't connected. And they got moved around, so they weren't printing good anyway. I figured, okay, we're down to the last two hours. I'm just going to pull these off, reprint them later, and let mm -hmm. it finish the job. It's worth a little bit of loss plastic at that point. Yeah. Well, I went and uh, did something for an hour, and I came back, and I saw that the whole raft was shifting Oh, geez. Oh, no. And it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> so um, part of the reason I've decided is because I have let you, Andy, um, make me paranoid about using rafts <laughs> and reduced my footprint to three millimeters. And um, so what I decided in reprinting, because that whole print was just gone, yeah. is I'm doing half of the set at once and I've increased the raft big enough that they're all interconnected very well. And, you know, the, the whole thing will be stuck to the, the build plate instead of minimal spacing. And it's worth the extra plastic to me to <laughs> do it that way. My um, real goal in life is to try to convince you that rafts aren't necessary and you just need hairspray. <laughs> uh, good luck with that <laughs> nah i stopped trying to convince you guys of that a while ago i think you'll come to it on your own chris is almost there so <laughs> <laughs> well i'm stubborn no, my ancestors whatever. are from the north i'm stubborn as hell well, just as much as I did not want to play with your stupid online CAD software because I know what I like, I'll respect that you can do it wrong too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this coming from the guy who ended up going with a stupid online CAD software. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's no, just the, it's just your custom, your your stupid online software instead of my. <laughs> stupid online <laughs> software well the solidworks is kind of online so in order to launch the software i have to do it from the browser and it will launch the software on my computer so to that degree it is online because i need to be signed in and all that that's how they're doing their um their security pirating stuff and, yeah, yeah yeah so it has to be launched from there i can't launch it without launching it from the browser but after that the only other way it is an online software is when it comes to saving and loading. I mm -hmm. have two new options, save to cloud or load from cloud. And that seems to be the only difference. Everything else is still like the normal, it's like normal software at that okay. point. It's just the save and load and how you launch it is, is online. So. And honestly, I can accept that. I will identify that I have been working professionally in tech for 10 years and I love software as a service oh, yeah. from a from an engineering perspective and I understand its value and so I'm happy to use it that way. 
and you as a software engineer are mostly just you know localized for the work that you're doing so you're not necessarily creating distributed systems or anything like that you should just not, use what not you as like. invested in to. the uh services yeah well use what you like and that that's fine um i totally get that there's a lot of benefits from using the online stuff just nowadays it's just just like you're not wanting to use uh, hairspray yeah you just would rather do it the way you're accustomed to and that's what makes you comfortable and yeah, and i'm stubborn i identified yeah. that already i'm stubborn <laughs> well we did have a topic for this week actually it's the topic from last week until we reiterated everything <laughs> and uh what happens um, when you have a topic and never actually address it during the podcast <laughs> right yeah well <laughs> except for weirdly it was on purpose instead of accidentally almost not addressing the topic like we normally do so yeah yeah <laughs> um anyway the, the topic this week is material storage and treatment this is a fun one and um we, we've alluded to different storage processes, like from the resin all the way to the different um, thermoplastics. But now we've got the excuse to dive deep. And I think there's so many different ways to do it, too. Everybody kind of has their own way that they feel like works for them. And everybody has the right way, in quotes here, to do it. And everybody else who's doing it different from that is wrong. And, and Hey, Andy. Yeah. You mispronunciated should. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> should. Huh? Uh, <laughs> but it's true. You know, it, um, there was one thing. I understand this reasoning, but uh, Kevin, you, you specified a couple of weeks ago that your resin comes in brown bottles. Yes. And it, it's not just the... From my understanding, it's not just the uh, because it's a solid plastic. The brown itself actually helps with uh, preserving the resin, right? Yes. So uh, um, the you look at it from the outside, and the bottle appears to be opaque plastic. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's still some kind of translucent nature to it, just because of. The nature of molding plastics you're you're going to end up with some thin spots here and there and the the thing about this brown at this particular shade in the lab business we would call it an amber plastic even though it it's a it's a darker brown not really what you would think of as amber colored which is going to be that um you know a, a dark yellow orange yeah but, when i think um, of amber i think more yellow yeah um but that's what we call it in the laboratory world. And it's probably just because it's like that same color, just super concentrated. And that has the effect of being an excellent UV filter. Doesn't let any ultraviolet light through. So anything that is sensitive to ultraviolet light um, is going to be protected from that. And since this is UV curing resin, you don't want it to be exposed to ultraviolet light before it's time sure that makes sense and uh the, the reason i learned this is it was weird but i watched a documentary on um what's the beer out of boston sam adams and uh they made a big deal out of yeah our glasses the the bottles that our beer goes in is always this amber 
because it blocks the UV and they always use the deeper boxes and all that. And it's like, oh, that makes sense because, you know, then you avoid the, the, the beer oxidizing from UV before it gets drank. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just sense. thought that was fascinating. Um, go ahead, Andy. Uh, I was just going to say that that's just, that's just neat thinking on their part. I mean, it makes sense that they would do it that way, but it's, it, it's nice that you, you know, the leftover storage containers you have, you could reuse for a recycled resin and stuff like that and still have that UV protection. on Right. Them. And, and I actually have done that for when I've colored resins, I don't want to put them back in the bottle. They were, they came out of because now they're yeah. a different color and they'd, um, they'd color the, the rest of the bottle if I did that. So I've, I've hung on to empty bottles t- for the exact purpose of storing colors or resins that I have changed the color of uh, when I'm not immediately using them. Hmm. And it works. Yeah. It works very well. That works. Yeah. Me so and Chris your- were talking um, once again a couple of weeks ago. Me and Chris were talking about uh, the little one-gallon buckets um, for food storage is what they're okay. usually used for. And they have the, I can't remember the official term, but they're UV twist-on lids that are okay. actually meant to keep it reasonably airtight. And once again, to keep the UV out. And so I've got a couple of those one-gallon buckets and I keep my uh, filament that I'm not using right away and my uh, my water, uh, what is it, hydroscopic? Mm-hmm. filament um i keep those in the buckets with a, a bunch of desiccant too so that way i i don't i'm not as concerned about i need to use this quick or else it's going to suck up all of the the moisture that's in the air yeah um and well those buckets that you use can they hold only one reel at a time or can you fit a couple in there these ones can hold three spools. Oh, okay. three, three one kilogram spools so and there it's, it's only like a gallon bucket yeah Oh, wow. Now, when you were originally talking about this, I was looking at like a five-gallon kind of thing. Okay. He's kind of showing me a, a picture of that. I, I think it's more than a gallon, though, isn't it? It's not no um, five-gallon. It might be like two and a half or something. I, I'm pretty sure I found them as one-gallon buckets. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, that looks like that would fit good. That's cool. It might be a little bit more, but then when they size buckets anyway, they don't expect you to fill it up to the brim. So Right. True, true. Um, but yeah, the, the one kilogram spools are the perfect size to have almost no uh, leeway, no tolerance inside of the bottom. Okay. As it flares going up, it's not that big a deal. It's only, I don't know, a centimeter difference mm-hmm. in diameter at the top from the bottom. Okay. Uh, yeah, diameter. Um, and I got the twist on lids because I don't want to be breaking my fingers to pop the lid off every time. Agreed. Um, and it just right. has the added bonus of being UV blocking. So um, there is the bit where I have not, like, I guess I could take one of these buckets and modify it so that I could have a spool currently being used in one. Like a, there's a lot of the products that you can buy now. You can buy from people that have made them where it sits on where you normally have the spool. Yeah. And just feeds the um, 
feeds your plastic out as you're using it and then it keeps it dry while it's being yeah. stored there. Um, yeah. And I've seen a lot of DIY options for that exact thing, but because most of what I use is PLA, I'm not as concerned. And the stuff that is, like I said, hydroscopic, I just store in one bucket until I'm going to use it. And when I know I'm going to use it, I just throw it in my dehydrator for a little while before it goes up on the machine. So. Yeah, that sounds like a great way to do it. Yeah. yeah. I've always used the, um, the bags for freezer. I think they're two and a half gallon bags. Okay. Um, they're the bigger, the bigger bags uh, with the big plastic zipper um, mm-hmm. on the edge. And that's what I keep all of my filament in. They're just those bags, just one, one bag per filament. And uh, all except PLA. I, I don't bag PLA. I let that sit out in the open. But like you pointed out here, we're up in the high desert anyway, so our humidity tends to be lower. Um, so plastic With that the exception of the last week or so anyway. Yeah, no right. kidding. With, the, with PLA being not quite as hydroscopic as a lot of other plastics, I, I don't really worry too much about those. I got more of a problem with UV exposure, I think. Uh, but I also keep it all in my laundry room where I don't have an outside window and we don't really leave lights on in there and things. So I don't think it's that big of an issue either. Uh, most of the time, whenever I have problems with uh, UV exposed plastic, it just is brittle. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little bit of time in the dehydrator, uh, you know, can re-soften the plastic right back up real quick. So it doesn't really seem to be too much of a problem. And with desiccant, uh, you can microwave the desiccant, microwave the water out of a desiccant pack, kind of recharge it. And so every once in a while, I'll go through and grab all the little tiny desiccant packets that I've thrown in my uh, in my bags uh, over time. Because you know, anytime you open up a new one, it goes into the, the that particular bag. And so plastic that I use a lot of, like PETG, I've got a lot of desiccant building up. And uh, when I get my PLA ones, I usually throw those in somewhere too. But every once in a while, I'll go through, I'll pull them all out, put them in the microwave, microwave them for you know, five or 10 minutes until they stop generating heat. You know, all the water will be gone out of the packet if you put it in the microwave and it doesn't build up any heat. And, uh, and then you can throw it back in the bags to, to keep things dry. And it's been working pretty well for me, I believe. Well. So they don't absorb the microwaves and well, get the, hot because uh, of that? It's only the moisture that's in them? That... Yeah. What, yeah. What the microwaves do is they go through whatever is in the microwave and they'll rub up against the water molecules and kind of cause them to vibrate against each other. And that's what causes mm-hmm. the heat. Well, yeah, but I mean, like... Uh... You use ceramic bowls and that sort of thing in the microwave too, and they're they're not embedded with moisture. That's true. Ceramic and, and, and I don't understand why some of those, because I've noticed some of those get really hot and others don't. Yeah, I've experienced that too. I think it's just whatever the microwave resonates with the particular material might heat up or not. But with hmm. desiccant, it doesn't seem to. I mean, it'll still get warm to the touch, but when it's got water in it it'll get hot to where you put it in there for a minute let it go open the door up and if things are really hot i usually let them cool down before i close it and put turn it on again i don't want to melt things down you know well and you get them too hot in one go it'll burn through the the packaging too right exactly exactly but after a couple of times of doing that when you you know put it in 
they'll just be they'll, they'll they'll stop getting quite as hot as they have been and they'll they'll stay kind of more just a little bit on the warm side okay so, and it's usually at that point when i pull them out and put them back in all the bags but i've only done it like two or three times because moisture is really kind of not that big of an issue i i rarely run into it usually it's one that's um where the plastic zipper on my bag has has broken or not sealed when you zipped it up and mm -hmm. um because just an overused bag and uh you know that that particular roll might get some water in it but okay other than that water's not really too big of an issue so when people are doing all these fancy boxes it's kind of hard from my perspective to think it's needed just because arid environment that we live in and just having a system that kind of generally works doesn't feel like we would need that but then again too i'm not printing with like truly hydroscopic materials i've got some that's uh, made for you know the water soluble supports that i'm afraid to open the package i don't even know why i got the darn thing i should just use it up one of these days make some benchies for the kids throw them in the bath watch them have fun with it you know <laughs> <laughs> it's about all it's Ooh. worth at this point so Ooh. bath bombs bath bombs oh <laughs> bath bombs yeah that might work I don't know if it completely solidifies in water or if it just kind of melts. It'd be kind of gross to have a globule of that plastic in the bath with you, just a big booger. But, yeah, uh, there's that. Just a little bit. <laughs> there's that. Um, when I first got the buckets, I did make this little insert that goes in the hole in the spool. Okay, that to, for holding the desiccant? Yeah, for the desiccant. Oh, that's so it's cool. Got the, showing a picture of it. That's, it's got that's a honeycombed awesome. uh, awesome. sides on it. And actually, I, I reprinted, redesigned the lid and put some in the top, too, because I felt nice. like the spools might be sealing off the sides. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's really just all it took for me was creating that. And then I don't have to go fishing for the des desiccant later. Yeah. Um, but I printed off three of them, and they filled up with all the plastic I was using. So I started throwing the desiccant away. If you're having um, that much desiccant, then that sounds better than just reusing it too. So, yeah. Yeah. So there. it's really just a matter of how much do you need? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I know I print, I print small things. So I tend not to go through plastic very fast. It's mm -hmm. only until recently of doing all these, um, uh, uh, prop items. Uh, for my kids play that I've actually gone through like reels of plastic. Usually a reel lasts me a very long time, you know, six mm -hmm. months to a year. And so uh, I also bought some, some colored tricolored PLA. Uh, the wife saw one of the things that Chris had printed with his, uh, you know, color changing PLA. It was like, Oh, I want one of those dragons. And I tried <laughs> not to be, I tried not to be the person that, Ooh, has a 3D printer, and now I'm going to print all these plastic things for my family because I think it's cool. Um, but I didn't suspect that they were then like missing out, thinking that that would have been nice if I would have been doing that. So <laughs> I feel kind of bad. I made the wrong judgment of sharing my printer stuff, thinking it would be annoying when really now they're kind of left out. So um, my wife had mentioned, oh, that would be kind of neat. So I, I bought some of that that color changing plastic, and I'm going to go to to. Uh, you know, and pick out one of the Thingiverse, yeah, and pick out one of the dragons, the Flexi okay. Dragons, and print, her out, print them out for her. And maybe there do a little bit, bit more where, for the kids. There is the bit where balance is a good thing. Yeah. Um, 
I try not to only print stuff that I think could be fun. And I try not to get stuck in the hole of my wife wants all this stuff and I don't have time to print my own stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've violated either. I think the only time I have is um, I tend to print benchies for when Mm -hmm. I want to do a surface test of of something. If I'm worried about surface quality, I'll do a benchy. But for all the other tests, I prefer tests designed to test the thing they're testing. But sure. uh, benchies become bath toys right off the bat. So sure. there's like five or six uh, bath toys. You know, they like to float upside like, down, but okay. <laughs> yeah, they don't really float that, that great. But then kids don't care when they're playing with them in the bathtub. So that's yeah, true. Well, whatever. They're going to go right. underwater and be filled with water and stuff anyway. But uh, so there, there's a lot of those floating around. But they would have been just garbage. I would have thrown away once I confirmed. And I try not to print them super big. So I'm wasting a lot either. Usually it's just big enough to to do the test I want to test or want to mm-hmm. confirm. And then, then it's a toy for the kids. So, other so, than that, when they want something built, that that's when it's fun. But a lot of that is like sitting down and designing it together. Mm-hmm. That I think is the real fun uh, more than, than playing with the toy afterwards. So, so there was one uh, around Christmas time. We were looking for white elephant gifts. Okay. And my wife went through my plastic trash bucket <laughs> and pulled out all the benchies I'd thrown away. Okay. And we gave them at t- away as a set of benchies. Oh, nice. okay. <laughs> my nice. father-in-law looks at it and goes, that's cool. What is it? It's, and my brother-in-law, we talked to him already. He goes, oh, yeah. it's a bench. My, my father-in-law goes, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a benchmark. It, it's how you confirm how good the print is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And actually, I've identified already also that uh, when I get a new spool, I like to run off a Benchy just to make sure that it works with the profile. Okay. And then it becomes a color swatch. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, that's, you know, when when I change out the colors, obviously, that's why I had a bunch in my uh, my bin at the time. But yeah, yeah. I guess fun. I'm um, thinking today, after the podcast here, you know, we're coming up on Easter. I decided to do some shortbread cookies with the kids. Okay. And so we're going to sit down and, and design some PETG cookie cutters, one-time use cookie cutters and uh, that are Easter related. And I, I think I'm looking so much more fun of sitting down with each one of the kids while we design a cookie cutter shape together on the computer and then printing them out uh, later. So. Well, you're a fun dad, for sure. I try to be. Yeah. Um, Does anybody have any thoughts on the second half of the topic, which is treatment? I didn't write this topic. I I think it was Chris. Oh, Oh, I'm I'm not sure exactly what that meant other than maybe with maybe post like for you, Kevin, you have to, uh, you have to put everything through the wash and then you solidify it, cure it, make sure it's perfectly cured right after the fact. Uh, and that maybe that is, but yeah, that's that is my process because uh, when it when it comes off the printer after it's been washed, it's kind of got a a soft texture to it, and it's a little bit more flexible than you'd expect of a thing. And so then you put it in the cure station. Some people will just put it in the sun. Um, I mean, and, UV is UV, right? Yeah. And so and the sun's just... probably a lot more powerful than the cure station, isn't it? Yeah, probably. I mean, UV wise. 
big giant star in the sky blasting the planet <laughs> with UV. I, I imagine it would be. I, I mean, I do know that when um, when I was modifying the Eye of Agamotto amulet that I had printed for uh, my younger son's Halloween costume last year, we were outside and I drilled through it and there were there was liquid resin trapped inside and it solidified within a second. So no kidding. Yeah, it was, it leaked out, hit the ground and then it was solid. Oh, Mm. wow. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So no sense in converting coal into UV when all you have to do is put it out in the window. Right. Right. I mean, the only reason I got the wash and cure station was for the wash part, but then, then the cure station, the cure part is convenient. I don't have to. You already have it there. Yeah. Right. And, and the things I tend to print are so small for the most part that if I put them outside, you know, you you want to remember where you put it. You don't want to lose it or step on it or anything like that. So it's convenient for that also. Okay. Does your resin suffer from UV damage when it's out in the sun a lot? Uh, Like a cured part? Like our PLA will turn brittle and hard in, in the UV? Or at least I'm, supposed to. I've got a lot of right. PLA that refuses to go bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because I, you I've keep reconditioning it, it before you print it, dude. Right. Now, Wait, I've, no, I mean, okay, so I've heard <laughs> that, yes, uh, leaving resin printed stuff in the sun too long will make it go harder and more brittle, but I haven't really experimented with that so much. Hmm. I don't. I don't try to break the stuff that I've printed. Uh, it with a well, yeah, <laughs> th- that would be a waste of time to yeah. print it off just so you could break it. Right. Well, I say that, but there are YouTube go videos and watch where they, all those, like, stress they stress videos. test all the stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but they're doing it with a purpose. It's not an arbitrary, I'm going to see it if I can soak up too much UV with this dragon I just printed off. You right know. right <laughs> yeah now that being said uh i did a while back print some pics of destiny and uh one of my one of my friends said that he was thinking of getting something and then he said or maybe i just ought to see if i can order some online so i can have an actually functional pick and it made me say well who's to say this one isn't and so i actually got one of my guitars and I've I used it and it it was actually a functional pick. I it, I half expected it would break, but it didn't. Nice. Does it seem to be wearing at the same rate as a standard pick? Um. So I I haven't used it a whole lot, but I didn't notice any. I played with it for probably an hour, and I didn't notice any significant wear on it. And I will say that um I when I very first got my, my first electric guitar, um, I did have a hard plastic fender brand pick that broke in that amount of time. Okay. Um, so there, there is a, well, there's, there's a spectrum for everything. Right. But, uh, right. And this I was is on the useful end of the spectrum. Right now to be fair to fender, just because I don't want to sound like I'm denigrating them in any way. I may not have been using the pick exactly correct because I was a newbie with guitaring at that time. 
So I just need to throw that out there so that nobody says <laughs> this guy just in sucks. Case he they, Fender. Just in case <laughs> they reach out to us and ask us to help them 3D print a, a guitar <laughs> for them. Well, I'm I'm more afraid of you know any kind of defamation. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, I, I'm not a great guitar player, but uh, if Fender decided to come and sponsor us and have us 3D print stuff for them, I would be game for them to give me a Fender and trade. Oh, sure. Yeah. I do got a question for you, Kev. We've got all these different ways of reconditioning our filament when we've done the worst things with it, like leaving it out or leaving it out in the sun and being able to bring it back and, and make it pretty much usable. There's not a whole lot that you can neglect filament that you can't bring back with, you know, 24 hours in a dehydrator or whatnot. Uh, of course, I don't know if you went and soaked the water soluble stuff in water, you might have a problem putting it back together. But uh, generally speaking, you can recondition your way out of it. Can you do anything for your fil- for your resin that kind of goes starts to go bad on you? Nope. Throw it, just it away and start over. <laughs> glad, glad glad we figured that one out. All right. <laughs> Good to know. I mean, if if there is something that can be done with. Uh, resin that has been left out too long and is starting to go bad i don't know about it so if anybody knows better let let us know in the comments or wherever email us and yeah uh, enlighten us because as far as i know once it starts going bad it's bad you can't do anything to bring it back it's, huh. it's actually starting to solidify right and that's a chemical reaction with resin isn't it well it's it's yeah i mean it's it's either solidifying or settling out to the point of uselessness if you can't mix it back up because yes it is a chemical reaction um with some weeks ago a couple months ago i watched a, a very fascinating video about the science behind um resin printing and it went into great detail about all the the monomers and the activators and everything that Basically, I think you shared that with us because I remember I going through something like that. Yes, yeah. I did. And it was, I mean, the guy goes into great detail about you've got these activators that get excited when they're hit with a specific wavelength of light. And in, in the case of my resin, it's 405 nanometers and it'll split those apart. And they've got active ends that don't want to be separated and they'll grab onto the monomers that that are floating around and hold them in place because that's a monomer do. that has that happened then is able to attract another monomer or something like that yeah there's kind of a chain reaction streams. that follows and then it, it forms the polymer that you end up with in your finished product that's cool <laughs> that's cool yeah yeah that was a neat neat one to, to listen to but yeah like you say i, I guess if you had stuff settling out just the different chemicals settling out. You might, with some serious mixing, be able to get it back together. But I think that's the only one you might be able to recover from, huh? Right. And, and, then, and that was Chris's point with the blender right. a couple of weeks ago. Right. N- not the, the modeling program, an actual kitchen blender. Right. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I think that uh, I, a blender might be a bit overkill. I think it would be more appropriate to get one of those um, drill or rotary tool attachments that's just got, it looks like a miniaturized um, speedboat propeller. Okay. So yeah, like a paint mixers. Yeah, exactly. Just a little tiny mixer that you 
swirl around in there, I think that would be a lot better of uh, a, a better tool to use than a, a blender. If you accidentally aerated your resin, would that affect your print? No, no. In fact, um, your box isn't even airtight, is it? I don't well, think well, so. Well, I guess if you if you were aerating it, you would be like that moving would be, air through it and aerating right. it. Like okay. So, but what I was going to say though is that um, the instructions for use on every resin bottle are to shake thoroughly before using it. And if you've opened it at all, there's going to be air in there. And I've poured foamy resin into the resin vat before um, because that's what happens when you shake it up. It gets little bubbles in it. Yeah. uh, But then the the build plate comes down and is going to press all of that out. It's not so bubbly that it's going to interfere with anything. Okay. That's cool. And where it's being activated is at the bottom where there's no air bubbles anyway so right yeah that's fine makes sense well so was there anything that was missed andy it sounded like you were gonna say something um not necessarily with storage and treatment whatever treatment was supposed to mean i mean i i think uh a treatment for like our fdm printers is maybe the recovery of our filament when it does suffer problems from improper storage in well, and you've case, talked about dehydrate, times where dehydrate, dehydrate. and that's probably about times, Andy, where you uh, have put a finished part in the dehydrator. Mm-hmm. Yes, so to kind of anneal it better. Yeah. yeah, when that's necessary, which is not enormously often. Although I, I, I would suspect that what Chris meant by treatment was probably the pre-treatment, where you, where you take the old PLA and put it in the dehydrator. Or um, if it's old and brittle, but not necessarily waterlogged, just heating it up on your build plate for a, like we've talked about before, just to kind of bring it back into a usable state. Well, and as far as I know, this is an old uh, topic too. Yeah. Probably came up at the same time as some other topics that we thought of. Probably. So we've brainstormed some ideas like rejuvenating it on the build plate. Yeah. But uh yeah, I, I'd accept that as a an explanation of it too. All yeah. right. Well if there's nothing else, we can close this up. I don't think there's anything else. Alrighty. Not that I could think of. Uh well, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to the very end. Uh if you like what you hear, please give us all the stars and subscribe. We are available through a wide variety of podcast vendors and are easy to share. If you have any feedback or if you have any content requests, please let us know. You can find us in our Facebook group, Amateur 3D Pod, or you can email us at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. For individual feedback, you can email us at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at amateur3dpod.com. Remember that if you have some feedback for Kevin's question about uh, other ways to rejuvenate resin if they're out there. Um, the music in this episode was written by Kevin Buckner and open AI's whisper completed the heavy lifting for the transcripts, which you can find linked in the description. Our panelists are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy Cottom. Until next time, we're going offline. Keep your FEP tight. Dehydrate everything.